Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. All right, it is my pleasure to welcome back Lucas Moreno to the podcast. Welcome back, Lucas. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's good to be back. I appreciate it. Yeah, we've had you on quite a few times talking about various maintenance reliability topics, you know, level of repair analysis. We've talked about a few other topics over the past. Um, and it's good to have you back to really deep dive some of these other topics. And I think this one today we're going to talk about is very, very timely. Mm-hmm. So I actually had a conversation with a maintenance planner at a customer site last week. And he was talking about developing the maintenance procedures, right? Your PM activities, your PDM checklist. And he asked me a question. He's like, why wouldn't we develop our corrective maintenance plans at the exact same time? Because we know what we're inspecting. We know what we're looking for failures. Why wouldn't we develop our corrective job plans and parts lists and all those things at the same time? My response to him was, I think what you're referring to really is maintenance task analysis at a, at a higher level. And, uh, I'll be honest, I haven't seen anyone do that in manufacturing. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was a little eye-opening to me. I was caught a little off guard when I left the military. Because, I mean, to be to be honest, you don't see it a lot in the military outside of the acquisition logistics space. And that's just fancy DOD talk for designing and building and pro- procuring big equipment, right? So build, ship, build plane, build tank, whatever. We do a lot of the maintenance task analysis during that design phase. And then retroactively, when it's rolled out, it's kind of prepackaged, right? And then the, the, the people out in the field, they take that work and continue it. So they don't really initiate it um, unless there's new activities. They have to do a new maintenance action that wasn't prescribed earlier, and then they can pick that up. But, you know, the large volume of it is done by the design agent um, and engineering firms that are building the logistics packages, for these assets and so when you take that and you go i mean i just put a i just sent an article over to the the council of logistics engineering professionals last week which will publish next probably publish right around the same time this is coming out um it was an article about why you should do uh famica and respect famica during design and it's kind of a fun article but the point was hey guys you, you don't you don't do this the same in the military as you do out of the military. In the manufacturing sector, most people are are not involved in the design of an asset, so they're they're not necessarily exposed to that in such a large degree, and so that stuff kind of doesn't get shared as much in um, in post you know post procurement type world, and that's where most of our people uh, in industry reside. So. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what we're really going to talk about is that maintenance task analysis. You know, what is it? When do we use it? Why do we use it? All these different things. You know, maybe we'll talk about the acquisition side versus, you know, the manufacturing side. We'll talk about some of the differences there as well. But before we dive into that, Lucas, you're the founder of the East Partnership. Yes. Right? You are. You have a doctorate in engineering as well. Mm-hmm. You have spent many years in the Coast Guard. So big story background around uh, engineering, maintenance, reliability, all those important things. 
Um, although super brief, anything else you want to kind of touch on? Now I'm super nerd. Um, that you could, you could tack that on there, but yeah, I started out as a diesel mechanic and working in, um, in maintenance in the military and then progressed up through there. So, you know, I was lucky to have people that went before me, expose me to reliability engineering and that kind of stuff as I became more senior. And, um, and, uh, that's, that's how I ended up in this space once I left the, the military. All right. Excellent. And what's the East partnership for those that aren't familiar? Yeah. East is a, is a, is basically an online, uh, learning platform, right? We, we develop courses for people that either maintain or build complex assets. Um, anything from buildings to ships to planes to whatever, if it's a complex system or a system of systems, uh, we've got something for you. Most of the courses fall into the realms of asset management, reliability centered maintenance, life cycle management. MTA is one of the life cycle management courses, the other being LORA, and um, which is the level of repair analysis for those that aren't familiar with the acronym LORA. And um, we do some project management training and uh, we also do some just general career advice and blogging and that type, type of stuff too, but really wanted to try and connect some industry leading consultants that don't necessarily make training their primary uh, job, um, take the tremendous amount of knowledge and, and experience they have and convert it into courses that we can share with people. All right. Excellent. Yeah. So you have a course on maintenance task analysis and you know, that's kind of the topic we're going to talk about today. So for those that are not familiar with maintenance task analysis, what is it? Yeah. So the, I love, I love simplifying these things because I think, uh, you know, when you, when you hear about something that's not necessarily in practice in this civilian sector, it tends to fall into DOD speak and you can go find some mill handbook and the mill handbooks are just traditionally <laughs> terrible at giving you detail about these things. Right. So then you go invest in a, in a standard that you hear about and then the standard kind of takes it one step further, but really doesn't dive in too hard in its simplistic form. Maintenance task analysis gives you the ability to, um, take a maintenance procedure that you've identified, whether it be through a FAMIA or a FAMICA, you've said there's a need for maintenance. You need to do this maintenance activity. You take that activity and you say, okay, let's perform it and let's document all of the steps, how long each step takes, what skill level personnel are needed to do the work or should be doing the work. You may find that when you do the analysis, you started with the wrong level and that's okay. Um, what consumables do we need? What spare parts and supplies do we need? What technical uh, information, tech pubs, special tools, all this stuff. So really what you're doing is you're capturing the full scope of what the maintenance uh, task is going to require. And you're going to document every single thing. And it's really powerful because it helps you produce things that we don't think really take a lot of effort to produce. And that's like maintenance procedures, right? So like a well-defined maintenance procedure is a direct output of a maintenance task analysis. And of course, all that other stuff I mentioned goes on lists that make your supply chain smarter, your, your ordering consumables and making sure you have all this stuff. And um, there's a bunch of other stuff like identifying interferences that you would encounter. And uh, we can talk about like context uh, a little bit later in the conversation, I'm sure. But yeah, that's, that's the gist of MTAs. Let's analyze the task. Let's document everything, get smart on it. And then it makes our plans and our scheduling better. All right. So this is not only identifying here's the maintenance procedures we want to do or we're going to have to do on these assets, but also here's a list of parts that we're going to probably consume. Here's consumables yeah. that we need to stock. 
Um, here's the different skill levels we may need. Yep. Here's some specialized tools or facilities we may need to actually do this maintenance. So it gives us all that information we need to really understand what do we need to actually to maintain this asset. Yeah. And I think the power in the MTA, because there's probably a lot of planners going, well, I, I do that now, right? But unfortunately, they're probably doing that while the asset's in service. And it has an impact on production. It has an impact on uptime, that kind of thing. They're, they're doing some guesstimating or some really strong parametric estimating up front to say, well, we have like equipment, so we think it will be like this, all those types of things. I mean, the power of the MTA truly, if you can maximize the opportunity, is to do the maintenance task analysis before the equipment's in service. And this way it doesn't interrupt service and you can take the time doing the analysis properly and you get to do it in its operating environment before it's in service. Why is that important? Because there's interferences in your environment that didn't exist in the factory when the OEM put together that really rudimentary kind of basic step one through 10 maintenance process that we all end up inheriting and going, this isn't good enough. I have to add to this. Yep. Right. So, um, yeah. So if you can, if you can do it before the assets in place and you can actually physically perform it, you'll identify all those things in the process. All right. So with that being the case, you know, I'm, I'm envisioning that you can't do all of this once the asset's built before it's operating. You're doing some of this during the design phase, right? You're leveraging design FMEAs, that sort of thing. So how does one actually do this while the asset is either in design or being built? Are we relying on like 3D models to kind of estimate how we're going to do this? Are we relying on subject matter expertise? You know, how do we do this? Yeah, so um, uh, I'll, uh, I'll make one quick point before I kind of describe each of those scenarios. The, the, the MTA can be done at any phase of the life cycle. It just doesn't make sense to do it near disposal, right? Because <laughs> you're getting rid of it. But at any other phase, whether it be design, uh, implementation, or in-service sustainment, which is the fancy word of, you know, it's in service and we're maintaining it. Um, at any point of those, those points of the life cycle, you can do an MTA. The most uh, optimal time to do it is during design in conjunction with the RCM analysis, right? So you're doing a FAMIA or a FAMICA on a design that is close to design maturity, meaning it's not our very first design effort. Um, we're actually... We've done some reliability uh, engineering design work here. We're pretty sure we're firming up the design. Give or take, this is this is the close to final solution. Your FAMIA and your FAMICA, either one, are maturing now, and you've got something that really says, okay, we're, we, we're pretty sure this is the equipment or the component. We're pretty sure that these are the failure modes that we're going to experience and the, and the effects and impacts. And because of that, we're pretty sure we're going to recommend these maintenance actions. And you can pull those down and you can start analyzing those individual maintenance actions. And that's how you would do it during design. I've seen that done at various phases of design. I wouldn't do it too early. And normally it should follow the FAMIA or the FAMICA. Um, so that gives you a good indication of whether the design's mature enough because you're probably not going to get through a, a real FAMIA or FAMICA until the design's got some some pretty confident levels of maturity. But well, that's, um, And by following the FAMICA, what we're doing is we're identifying opportunities for redesign, getting those redesigns incorporated. Yep. That's why we want to wait till the, the FMEA or FAMICA is mature because we've eliminated some of those maintainability or reliability problems already. 
Exactly. Right. You're, okay. you're all looking at each other going, okay, how much are we going to sway the design with this Famica? And you go meet with the design engineers and they're like, yeah, we're going to work with that. <laughs> you're like, okay, we pretty much, this is pretty much where we're at. Right. And if you're fortunate enough to do this in like a very well organized acquisition or design effort, like, you know, I would like to say most of the government ones are, um, there are milestones and those milestones are like, once they're checked, they're checked and you've passed that milestone for design approval, you're in your MTA now is a surefire thing. If you're prior to that design approval, right where you were saying, you know, you get the Famir or the Famica done and you're all kind of looking at each other, your reliability engineers, your maintenance guys, your design engineers are, are all kind of nodding their heads. And the design engineers are basically telling you this is option A, B and C all in one shot. You're like, okay, we're, we're moving forward now. We can do the MTA. All right. So with that being said, is the maintenance task analysis just used for those preventative maintenance actions then inspect, replace, so on and so forth? Or is it calibrations, replacement, repairs, troubleshooting, and so on and so forth? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna default to the to the topic of criticality for just a moment. If you have a a maintenance task that's associated with a piece of equipment that has appropriate levels of criticality, meaning importance to operations once it's in service, then that piece of equipment merits a level of analysis that another piece of equipment may not, right? Because of the possible interruption to availability for operations once it's in service. And this could be preventive or corrective. Right. Like much to your point, when we started, you can do this on corrective maintenance. There is there is a, a section of the world out there that thinks that this is, you know, just for planned preventive maintenance tasks. And I'm like, guys, if you can do the activity, you can analyze it. There's nothing saying you can't do an MTA on a corrective maintenance action that you have high levels of confidence are going to occur. I wouldn't do it on something that's like yep. maybe once in a life cycle. And I definitely wouldn't do it on something as complex as like. Let's take a diesel engine, for example, and say a full center section overhaul or a top end. You know, that's a big task that you're probably going to and It's a special it's a special event. Um, but, yeah, everything else to me is, is on the table. If it's an if it's a if it's an, um, a task that you're going to have to perform and it's going to involve all those support elements of supply um, and training and, 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 and labor management, all that stuff, then, it, then it's eligible as long as the piece of equipment is important enough to justify the analysis because you do have to invest time and effort into the analysis and you don't want to do that for something that's not going to interrupt service, right? It's not going to end up giving you a return on your investment. Um, gauge calibration is a good, a good example. Gauge calibration is a, a fairly um, standard practice across all the different equipment. And me calibrating that gauge may or may not have any impact on operations whatsoever. And if I calibrate a gauge on one piece of equipment, it's very much like calibrating one on another unless there's some configuration change or something. And we can usually figure that out without having to spend eight hours doing analysis. So there the ROI might be in the negative, right? It wouldn't be worth doing it. So you got to kind of have these um, uh, criticality conversations and you also have to have a um, like kind of an ROI conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out iridicio.com for a free copy of their ebook, A Smarter Way of Preventative Maintenance. This ebook will allow you to review your current maintenance program and eliminate the non-value added work you're doing, which is most likely causing you more downtime than it is preventing. 
www.iridicio.com. Now, once we've established which ones we're going to tackle, whether it's preventative, corrective, you know, those types of things, who actually does this? Is it a team effort? Is it one person? Um, who is that person? You know, who yeah. actually does all this stuff? Yeah, it's kind of funny because it's going to take some sponsorship uh, because especially if it's something you guys don't do normally. So either, you know, whoever's leading your reliability engineering or maintenance engineering needs to push this as a, as a thing you guys are going to do something that isn't just a one-off and then that person is going to establish the expectation that this analysis will be done in a certain time period and it'll be it'll be properly resourced right so you need that leadership to a certain degree much like any other major analysis the big difference here is you're going to need to pull a couple people right so if you own the people that are going to do this and the people that are actually going to perform the task should be the ones that you would want performing the task when it's real so if it's, let's say it's uh, pulling a cylinder head off an engine, you're going to want the mechanics, right? You're going to want your, your appropriate level skilled mechanics to be present in the right number and the right skill level to perform the, the uh, analysis. They're the actors, right? They're the ones doing the activity. Mm-hmm. You do need a dedicated analyst, somebody, you know, a laptop or clipboard, a pocket protector and thick glasses or whatever, not to be smart about this, but to document everything. You don't want the people performing the activity to be doing the ones doing the documenting. They need to concentrate on activity. They need to concentrate on reading the procedure that's outlined, whatever that looks like at that point. They need to, they need to be concentrating on the, on the task itself. The analyst or analysts, depending on the complexity of the task, need to be recording the times of each step. They need to be documenting all of the information around the supplies part number, nomenclature, source, all that stuff. They need to be keeping account of the consumables, rags, oils, greases, those types of things. Those are consumables, not necessarily parts and supplies. And um, they need to be uh, looking at whether additional steps need to be added above and beyond what you guys started with. You may start with like like a scratch OEM maintenance procedure or again, a like procedure for a piece of equipment that you already own. And you're adjusting that. So they need to be making the edits in real time. They need to be documenting each step's duration in real time. They need to be doing that kind of work. So you do need a separate analyst from the actual performer of the analysis. And so you have to scale the team accordingly to the activity. If it's a complex activity and it requires three or four technicians and two of them are, are you know, let's say you have a, a millwright, a mechanic, an electrician, you know, and maybe even an electronics tech, well, then that's what you need to do. You need to bring in the right people. And the reason why the right act, act, uh, actor, right, the main, maintainer, uh, maintainer, sorry, is important is because when you're timing the duration of them doing the work, you, can't, you don't want it to be wildly off, right? You need someone that's actually turning wrenches, you know, doing this stuff routinely and has the right level of expertise to be doing the work so that you get an accurate account for time for each step. This also includes all the safety stuff, like lockout, tag out, all that stuff too. So, okay, so it is a detailed process where we're capturing the steps, we're documenting potentially performance specifications, so torque, torque value, stuff like that, all the parts, the timing for everything, and at the end of this, we'll have a procedure and a time and a cost estimate for every time we do this repair. Yes, sir. This PM. Okay. 
And, and how valuable is that, right? You didn't have to hand it out to a team three different times to keep refining it and refining it and refining it until you realized how much this was going to cost you. By the time you find that out, you've already spent all this money and, and equipment downtime trying to get through that. You can, you can do this one time, do it right, get all this stuff, and you'll have a baseline, right? That's really the important thing is you'll, you'll find some leaders that are like, oh, well, you know, that works for today, but what about two years from now? Well, you have to have a baseline from yep. which you, you know, build uh, budgets, build time estimates, all these things. Um, and so the MTA can be really informative if you use it right. The worst thing you can do is perform an MTA, not capture all that stuff, just put out a procedure and only get like a partial return on your investment for this analysis, right? Yep. So at the output of this, it's not just a procedure then. It is the procedure for that maintenance activity. But as we aggregate all these different MTAs up, we're getting a list of parts with frequencies of usage. Yep. We're getting a list of all the consumables, how much we're estimated to consume over you know, a year, two years, whatever. We're identifying all these tools and parts that we're gonna need, facilities, <laughs> training. So the output of this MTA is really everything that we need to support this asset through its life cycle then, correct? Yeah, it's, it's surrounding each of those individual activities, yes. And in, in, and much to your point, you can aggregate them to look at the program, right? If you look at a maintenance program for that piece of equipment, which is all of the maintenance projects together, you, you really have like a maintenance program. And you can, you can have a baseline estimate for the cost, the periodicity, all that stuff, um, like you said. And this, this gives you a really strong, um, rigorous support for the request for resources. You know, it's not like a shot in the dark. You don't look like you guys are just, you know, doing what you've always done and kind of putting it together as you go. You know, they can, you can say, look, man, no one has gotten down to this level of detail in estimating these things like we have. And we know what this is going to cost us should everything, you know, happen as planned. Now, traditional uh, mindset of, you know, no plan survives uh, first contact with the enemy. But the act of planning is the valuable part. It's not the plan itself. It's the act of planning. Your organization gets extremely more knowledgeable about maintaining this asset and what it's going to cost them by doing this type of work. Yeah. And, you know, as part of that, looking at the skill level resources, you know, we might decide, okay, for, to bring in this system, we're going to need two more mechanics. Yes. Um, you know, one has to be a, a senior, one has to be an entry and so on and so forth. So we understand what is going to be the skill level. We can build a budget for maintaining it. Uh, we got all these things ahead of time. Yeah. And you can say, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> you know, let's not find out halfway through the job that we have to go now spend a week trying to contract an outdoors or an out an outside source to come in and do this work because we got halfway through it and we realized this isn't for us, you know? So, so that's one of the outputs too, right? Is a list of what tasks we're going to outsource or contract out because of complexity, skills, tools, that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can use the MTA as the, is the informant for that type of decision-making, right? Which you can see, you know, understanding level of repair analysis, you can see the obvious relationship here, right? Like Laura's just waiting in the wings for that MTA to finish. <laughs> So that I can grab the results of that maintenance task analysis and push it through the non-economic analysis of Laura, the level of repair analysis, and maybe even push all those inputs into the economic analysis. Because where do you think you're getting them from? Yep. You know, the MTA is this like 
little hub of information gathering that people go, oh, well, we already make maintenance procedures. And I go, dude, if you're thinking about this just as a maintenance procedure feeder, you are drastically underestimating the value of this thing. To your point, you could be using this information to develop strategic maintenance plans that involve out, you know, outsourcing labor. Um, and and what, it, what I've kind of been pushing on my Navy counterparts lately is, hey, look, you have to look beyond this first phase too. Like, let's say we do an analysis. We look at the, we do an MTA and a level of repair analysis and we go, you know what? We don't have the capability today to do the maintenance the way it really needs to be done. So we're going to have to set up a contract for some support. Let's say that contract lasts us five years. Phase two of this should be, what's our plan for after the five-year mark? Do we want to spend the next five years building the capability or do we want to spend the next five years just letting this play out and we'll renew a contract in five years because it's more cost effective for us. The plan might be that in five years, you are no longer dependent on an outside source and that you have full ownership and capability. If that's the case, you need to set up a plan to get you there yep. between now and the end of the contract. So it really gives you some some good tools to make some, some uh, st- strategic programming decisions with. All right, so then in theory, when we use MTA, we pretty much develop our logistical supportability needs before the asset is potentially even on site or definitely before it's in service. Yeah, ideally before it's in service. And if you can't wait until, if you don't have the luxury of doing it while it's in design or prior to being in service, then you can definitely do this um, while it is in service. If you do it in a very calculated way where you, you know, equipment rotations, um, plan downtime and, and taking advantage of, of being smart about doing this with an in-service asset, because honestly, like something like change the oil, you know, on a, on a, on a piece of equipment, you, you're, you're going to end up having to do it anyways. You can, you can probably make some pretty good, smart, you know, guesses about that particular maintenance task. It's, it's not some highly complex foreign thing to your staff. You know, those types of things you, you get some flexibility with. Um, I've seen where, you know, the Coast Guard bought an engine, they put them in service. They're looking at these sequential turbochargers, like six turbochargers on one engine, and they're all, you know, interrelated and all this stuff. And they're like, we're really not sure how to do the linkages on this. And it's like, we're going to have to spend some time working with this. Now, that's a different deal. We have to take that equipment down for long enough for us to, to work with it, take our time and get this right the first time. And then everything after that we can do at pace because of the analysis. Okay. So with the value that this provides, resourcing, parts, tools, procedures, all this stuff, why aren't more people doing it? Part of it is, um, well, there, I think there's several reasons. Um, one of which is just a lack of familiarity. Um, it's just not common practice. Uh, I would like to say yet. Hopefully it becomes more common practice. The second thing is, I think it's perceived complexity. I think some people look at this type of stuff. I mean, this was the this was the curse of Laura when I found it, was that people were like, "Ooh, uh, that looks really complex and time consuming. I'm not going to do that." And you go, "Yeah, but we're going to sit in a room three years from now and complain about the millions of dollars we're dumping into maintaining that asset, aren't we? Right? Like, we could have just done the hard work up front. Um, then when you realize you can distill this down to some pretty easy stuff, some pretty easy steps, some really basic you know, uh, activities, you go, wow, this really isn't that difficult. It just sounds like something that's difficult. And, and honestly, the world of work in the Department of Defense and other areas of the government just hasn't fully bled into industry yet. Um, 
I was actually contemplating this the other day, how similar this is to the whole quality movement, you know, back in the fifties and sixties. Um, you know, we were, we were not willing to listen to some of the quality talk in, in America, but we were more than willing to ship that talk overseas and let Japan hear it. Yep. Right. And then what happens 20 years later, you know, then, Oh, it's important to us now because we're being out, you know, because of competition and, and then we're catching up, you know, and I think some, some of that kind of historical context could be considered here. You know, we've benefit from these really well uh, developed procedures in, in the military sector and all that. And it's perceived that that's the case because we have the time and, and money to invest in that type of thing. But it kind of rattles my brain a little bit because I'm like, dude, you can do this and it doesn't take much effort. And you can even just pick a few things to do it on. You don't have to do it on everything. You know, think outside the box a bit, scale it and just be open. I think that's part of it. There's just a hesitation because of the lack of familiarity. The other last piece is we're just so pressured all the time. We have so much going on. The workload is never ending. Adding something to the pile, wedging another activity or item into the into the schedule just seems less than than feasible or desirable. Um, and and I think that that's a little defeating as well. You got to really be proactive on this. Yeah. Now, you mentioned Department of Defense as an example. They're leveraging MTA. Are there any other industries that you see leveraging maintenance task analysis successfully? Yeah, so the aviation um, community has has performed this a little bit better than some because when they deliver a plane, its maintenance is normally well-defined. Um, and whether you call it an MTA or not, when you take the time to develop a comprehensive procedure and a list of supplies and special tools and everything the way some of the larger aviation uh, manufacturers do, this is what you end up with. And that's because of the liability, right? We talked about criticality in the beginning, like the liability, this is the same conversation that RCM had, you know, in the seventies, right? It's like the aviation community does this because it's really important to get this right. The uh, maritime industry, some areas of the maritime industry do this well, other areas don't do it at all. Um, the military maritime side is, is, is pretty strong on MTA or a like effort um, to make sure that they identify key maintenance activities and, and get these things outlined properly. But there are plenty of maritime examples that do not do that at all. I mean, if you go buy a tugboat, you know, chances are you're not getting a full MTA and that thing is your bread and butter. You can yep. really benefit from making sure you understand that. But normally what you find is, and this is, this is something you'll never see written anywhere. This is just the psychology behind all this crap is that those who have to depend on themselves to do this work tend to focus on this more so than someone who's just going to pay for someone else to do it all the time. You know, it doesn't, I mean, if, if your business model from day one is to pay someone else to do all this, why analyze it? You know, you're really doing this because you want to be able to do a lot of this work yourself. Yep. Otherwise, it's almost pointless. And so industries that tend to develop their own organic maintenance capabilities have an increased need for MTA over someone that doesn't. So if you look at industries that just don't perform a lot of their own complex and, and deep maintenance, they're just they're just not involved in developing these types of procedures. Okay. Yeah, yeah I can see that. Because uh, yeah. really with this analysis, you're really looking at how do we reduce our life cycle cost? How do we streamline it? That type of thing where if that's not a concern, then yeah, why why spend the time? 
yeah, the next question becomes which of these outside providers gives me the most bang for the buck, right? It becomes a, an, an alternative analysis of alternatives of, of service providers rather than an analysis of our capability to do this properly with our own budget. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, what advice can you share with those that are looking to start this, whether they are very pragmatic about and they're going to do certain parts of certain assets or certain assets within a larger system, where do they start or start to learn about this stuff, you know, demystify it, if you will, that type of thing? Yeah, I mean, I wish I could point to some really strong resources. There just aren't a whole lot out there. Um, We've got S3000L, which is an international standard that does a pretty good job of explaining MTA. Uh, That's kind of what I've built most of as far as like I chose one standard to build my course off of. Um, S3000L is the one that I, I, I chose because I think it gets into a little bit more um, written word about the, the procedure and, and help. it's helpful in that case. But even then, the standard is just a standard. It's not a course. It's not experience. It's none of that stuff. So you could find a company that delivers MTA training or MTA knowledge sources like, like we do at East. There's other providers out there as well. We're not the only show in town, um, although there's not many of them. And um, look for publications. I mean, there's not a lot of people publishing um, on on the topic of MTA besides like me and a couple of the random people. Um, but uh, I'm actually in, in, in the process right now of, of writing a, a short book on it um, just to try and simplify it and get something out there that's affordable and accessible. And, um, and I'm, I'm going to self-publish so that I'm not, you know, running the price up through the roof. I want everyone to be able to get their hands on it. And um, so, yeah, there's some articles out there. I've, I've put a couple of articles out on MTA, um, but I think you'll find a, a few others. But um, if you're not involved in the acquisition logistics or logistics engineering community, you're probably going to be a, a little at the disadvantage of finding those network resources. So look for, you know, CLEP, the, the Council of Logistics Engineering Professionals. Um, we, we do some great work in, in, in MTA and other analysis and trying to get the word out there because like everyone else, we're trying to grow a future workforce and it's just not there yet. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the gig. You, you, can, you can find some of this stuff through um, Defense Acquisition University, the DAU. Uh, they, they will publish some, some, uh, some free resources on the web sometimes. And uh, you can also look at uh, other standards like, um, like the GIA standard 0007. Um, but GIA tends to be a little bit more technical and a little less, um, a little less explanatory. Okay. Yeah. When I first started learning about it, I leveraged, uh, Blanchard's book. So, you know, that textbook, I know we covered it in the design for maintainability book. I helped co-author. Yes, you did. Yeah. It's covered in there as well, but I will definitely make sure to link to your course. Okay. um, Because my experience, you can read a book, but if you take a course, it's so much more learning comes out of that, right? So we'll make yeah. sure to link to that, the Council yeah, that, for Logistics okay. Engineering Professionals, and a couple of the other things you mentioned. Yeah, and I'm, I'm actually going to do like a, like a right now it's notional, you know, in my head it's just going to work out, but I've actually got the first one on the, on the schedule in early August. So that, you know, depending on whether I get any interest or not, depends on whether I'll schedule them monthly or quarterly, but at a minimum quarterly, I'm going to do a live MTA seminar uh, Friday afternoons, noon to four, just four hours, meet up, talk about MTA, basically go through our MTA course live and, um, and have an opportunity to just interact with me one-on-one about the topic. So we will be, we'll be broadcasting that and, um, and, um, offering that via East partnership as well. All right. So speaking of that, then where do they find it? 
eastpartnership.org. Yeah. All right. And um, you guys can, you know, obviously follow our corporate page on LinkedIn, uh, which is East Partnership. And um, I'm on there. Just DM me. You know, if you can't find it, don't waste too much time searching Google. Just come find me. All right. Perfect. <laughs> so definitely happy to have you on to talk about maintenance task analysis. I think like you, it's one of those things that's underutilized. Um, and it be, it's to me, it's one of those you pay me now or pay me later, right? Exactly. If we pay up front, it's usually a little bit cheaper than trying yeah. to figure this stuff out in the long run and dealing with excess downtime and all these other things because we didn't know we needed that tool or we didn't know we needed that part and so on and so forth. Yeah, a lot of learning going on through experience, which is it's, that costs you money because it costs you time. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So I think, you know, the more we can get MTA out there, the better. Um, so I'm excited that you got the course, you got the, the book coming. So definitely have to keep us in the loop on that so we can share that out with everyone when that happens. Um, but I definitely want to thank you for taking the time to chat with us about maintenance task analysis. I appreciate it, James. And thanks for pushing the topic out there, because like you, um, I think, you know, a lot of people could benefit from doing it. And I'm just grateful that Folks like you are, you know, are, are pushing it out there. So appreciate that. All right. Excellent. Well, any other thoughts, anything you want to share with our listeners before we. No, I just, uh, I hope everybody's coming out of the COVID, you know, pandemic with their feet planted and their programs, you know, healthy. And I hope that, uh, you know, we just keep this network and you guys make sure you're tuning into to James's future episodes because, you know, he's just, always delivering such great content. And James, you're one of the people I consistently, you know, tune into. So I appreciate what you're putting out. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate you coming on and sharing because without yourself and guests like you, this wouldn't have worked. So it'd be the James show. It'd be great. (laughs) 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 You'd have to get, you know, other, other friends on the, on the call and you guys could talk about crazy stuff. It'd be fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Lucas. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today about MTA Um, definitely looking forward to our next episode. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.